Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. It's a phrase you hear often in times of personal or national distress, and especially during election years. Don't worry, people say reassuringly. No matter what happens, God is in control. There are even Bible texts that seem to support this concept. God changes times and seasons, we read in Daniel 2.21. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Good to know, right? But then the Bible drops the other shoe. Relaying words from God himself, the prophet Hosea announces, They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Hosea 8, 4. Wait a minute. Is God in control or isn't he? And what about Romans 13, 1-7 that commands us to be subject to authority? Would that be all authority? Let's dig into this topic today with our guest, Greg Hamilton. Greg is president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, and he's with us to discuss whether Daniel or Jose got it right. Greg, welcome to LifeQuest Liberty. Thank you so much. Let's take this one step at a time here. Greg, help us out. How are we supposed to look at these texts, and what are we supposed to know when we're done looking at them? Well, let's deal with Romans first. It says everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. That was Hitler's favorite text. (laughs) I mean, I remind people that texts like this can be used for propaganda purposes to secure a particular following. And, of course, this was just absolutely superior propaganda in Germany prior to World War II because Hitler here was being propped up by the conservative right, so to speak, the Lutheran churches, and reluctantly, the Catholic Church, who came along and followed, and then even the liberals that basically established the Weimar Republic prior to this, acquiesced to survive for another day. That's the way things work. A lot of people say, well, yeah, but it's the Sadducees and Pharisees, it's the left and right that will come together. And I say, well, it certainly won't be a perfect union, and it won't be a union out of love, it'll be a union out of duress, because one side basically takes control and seizes power due to the fickle will of the people. And so you have the rise of people like Hitler, and a lot of what happened with Hitler's rise was due to a lot of apathy in the Christian community. Well, you know, he's a man of law and order, and it really it doesn't matter who rises, God is still in control. Right. right. Well, was God in control when the Holocaust occurred? You can make the argument that he was still in control, but that's not the point. He allows men to make their own decisions and to act on those decisions, and that's what we got. Is that what we want again? So when we say that God is in control, it's basically saying he is allowing us to make decisions that he himself may not go along with. That seems to be what Hosea was saying. Well, freedom of choice means freedom to choose. It's a proactive statement. It's not a statement of apathy. Now, there is a difference. Let's say if someone decides to stay home and not vote because they consider that a protest vote, then that's not necessarily an apathetic vote. And that falls into the Protestant tradition of 
staying home and not voting, and by not voting, protesting. But if that's your motive, great. But I find among Christians this idea that, well, God is in control, it doesn't matter, so, you know, I'm not going to vote. Well, that's not a protest vote. That is either a tactic to get others not to vote, and then you yourself use that as a means to distract and discourage others for voters, when in fact you really want to hide that to vote for someone who's potentially very despotic. I guess what I'm looking for here, Greg, is a real good definition of what exactly is God in control of? Is he in control of what we do? Is he in control of the results of what we do? Or is he simply overarchingly in control of whatever happens? The latter, because he does not interfere with our free will choice at all. He never has. God is a God of choice. He does not arbitrarily intervene against our worst interests or even in our best interests. He guides and counsels, but then it's really up to us to determine what we uh, want to do. So when we look at candidates, if it's an election year and we look at candidates and we say, whoa, that person sounds pretty good, or that person, oh my goodness, I do not want that person in the White House, we're not really the voice of God at this point. Our actions are not really what God may necessarily want us to do, but the fact that he's in control of the world means that we have the freedom. He's still in control of the ability that we have to cast our vote one way or another. Am I on the right track? Yeah, you are. It seems to me that when we proactively seek to better our nation, uh, whether it be for social justice reasons, whether it be for law and order reasons, God understands the motive, God understands the heart, and I think that it's a privilege, certainly, to vote. And, of course, we know it's actually a right as well, under the Voting Rights Act of uh, 1965. So we have those tools, and in a democratic society, when one doesn't exercise that right, it doesn't mean they should feel guilty, but at the same time, you know, what are the reasons for staying home and not voting? I mean, for me, it would be a protest, okay? And and during this particular election, there, there are many that probably will feel that way, and probably justifiably so. Yes. But the point is, is that for me, I still believe it's in the best interest of our nation, in the best interest of our own interests in terms of exercising that right and that privilege to vote for the best candidate. Mm-hmm. I think what I hear you saying in this is, especially as we look in light of Hitler using this, this uh, text as, as his favorite text, we need to separate the fact that God is in control, which allows us to vote, as opposed to God is in control and what happens is his fault or his doing or his will being played out. Because like you say, the Holocaust was certainly not God's will. Yeah. So when it comes time to vote and we say, okay, God is in control, which means that allows us to go to the polls and vote. He, He has given us that freedom. Should we feel bad about the fact that we voted for someone who may mess up the world? And should we feel superior if we happen to vote for someone who does wonderful things for the world? How should we feel about the results of the person for whom we voted? Well, it's a natural human emotion to feel bad about someone we voted called voter's remorse. I mean, that happens all the time, whether someone voted for Barack Obama or George W. Bush or whoever. There's there's bound to be voter's remorse, even among some of the most avid supporters. So I think that the number one issue should be over the issue of religious freedom. Who supports religious freedom in the proper definition of the term, not in a definition that says, well, Christians should have the religious freedom to dominate and control government. No, that's not what's being said. No, in fact, 
we need to vote for those who will allow for not only the free exercise of religion, but the constitutional separation of church and state. Right. Because without the constitutional separation of church and state, there is really no free exercise of religion. Okay. You allow the dominant majority big religions to dominate and control the minority religions, and you allow government to sanction that. So that's, that is unfortunately a very Catholic view of religious freedom that goes back to Vatican II and the document called Dignitatis Humanae, put together by John Courtney Murray, a Monsignor, who for the first time, the Catholic Church accepted the doctrine of religious freedom, but he emphasized in that document the free exercise of religion, but denounces the constitutional separation of church and state. And shortly after that, you had people like Francis Schaeffer with his Christian Manifesto, you had Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson run with that model of religious freedom which denied the constitutional separation of church-state but put forward the free exercise of religion. That is a false model. It's not even a Protestant model. The Protestant model incorporates a balanced view of both the constitutional separation of church-state and the free exercise of religion. And so we've had this paradigm shift in history that puts forward a false view of religious freedom and basically propagates what I view is a prophetic revolution or myths that will fulfill prophecy in a way that's uh, harmful to religious minorities in the future. Sounds like you're telling us we need to do some homework. We need to be a wise voter. We should we should look at these topics, and religious liberty, of course, is a huge topic, like you say, because without it, what do we have? Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. So let's get real practical here in the last four minutes of our program. We have uh, we have Donald Trump, we have Hillary Clinton, and then here's the Bible text says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God, can we sit back in our chair and say, okay, God gave us the freedom to vote. God gave us the freedom to make a choice. God put either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump in the White House, and God, because he's still in control, there's still hope no matter who is in the White House. Can we say that? I don't think so, personally. Uh You have to look into the facts of their positions and what they've actually done. And what they've done will tell us where they're going. And I think the former Secretary of State, when she was before the United Nations for four years, fought off the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, 57 Muslim nations, the union, that tried to put forward blasphemy laws to amend Articles 18 and 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is the Religious Freedom and Free Speech Clause, to basically allow any nation to punish any form of evangelism in their nation. Mm. She heroically fought that back and came up with Resolution 1618 after it almost passed by a two-thirds majority in the Human Rights Commission and the General Assembly. She came up with Resolution 1618 where they unanimously voted to condemn any mocking of Muhammad and to condemn any trashing of Christian symbols. So it was an interesting resolution, but I thought it was fairly heroic. And then I, I see on the other end of the spectrum, at least from my perspective, You've got a banning of all Muslims. You've got deporting all illegal immigrants. You've got misogyny. You've got all kinds of other issues. But you've got this doctrine or this idea that, well, we should just allow all churches to be able to use 25% of their budget to endorse political candidates. That's what Donald Trump has proposed. Well, what does that do? The Johnson Amendment, disallowing them to use their budgets and and have to follow a certain IRS code, is actually something that has safeguarded churches. It's rather divisive when you allow churches to actually endorse candidates. Not only is it divisive within churches, but it doesn't empower the church. It actually enslaves the church to government. 
And it also tends to favor the big churches that have the most money. So again, it goes back to free exercise run amok and discarding the whole notion and the need for the constitutional separation of church and state. Mm. What I hear you saying, Greg, is that we need to do our homework and there is a track record and we need to vote based on the the track record because like you say, what they have been is what they're going to be. Am I right in saying that? Yes, and I'm not I'm not endorsing anybody here. I want to make that very clear. I'm sure there's all kinds of bad things or particular viewpoints that may be legitimate about Hillary Clinton and legitimate about Trump that may be positive or negative. I'm just saying that those are general observations that people should be aware of. And God is in control simply means that God is allowing us to make choices, and I like to believe, I like to believe that as we make those choices and we live with the consequences of that choice, God is also in control to help us deal with it and to guide it and to fix it if necessary and to bring a good response for our nation and our and our world. Politics is a messy business no matter how you look. Mm, Absolutely. Amen to that. Greg Hamilton, president of Northwest Religious Liberty Association. Greg, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your words of wisdom. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Greg Hamilton inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. 